Welcome, everyone, to this week's edition of the Commercial Real Estate 101 Meetup Group. For those of you guys who are tuning in for the first time, uh, we actually uh, host this uh, every other week, and we invite speakers to come in to talk about a variety of different topics to pertain to commercial real estate. And today's topic is actually kind of ancillary or, or close to commercial real estate, but a lot of our same clientele, obviously, are business owners. And today we have Ellie Puckett uh, to be able to talk a little bit about business sales, which is, I think, a very pertinent topic and one that I think is going to be quite interesting. So Ellie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. And did I did I say your last name correctly? Is it is it Ellie Puckett? Is that correct? Yeah, you got it right. Yep. I just I, I always I always like to clarify because my name can be kind of tough sometimes to say. Uh, Absolutely. The, the, yeah. So I always like to clarify that. But no, welcome to the show. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know, Ellie's actually local here. Uh, she helps business owners sell their businesses. And and I'm sure she's dealt and her business, her and her business partner have dealt with a variety of different industries, all different types of, of businesses. So I think it's gonna be quite interesting to hear uh, the conversation that stems from this. So but for, before we get started into that conversation, if you don't mind kind of sharing a little bit about yourself, I think that'd be great. Yeah. So um, I came to business sales uh, relatively recently. The first 10 years of my career were spent in technology startups. Um, and I had a degree in entrepreneurship and kind of fell into the world of angel and venture capital. Um, I helped found a space tech company and we raised a little bit of money. Um, and then I actually from there went into entrepreneurial support, but it was mostly focused on these like high growth, high scale um, businesses that raised angel and venture. And we started teaching lots of people how to start businesses, um, but we kind of stayed focused on this one style um, which tended to be a lot of technology and software-based businesses. And eventually I started having this recurring question that came up, which was like the angel investors didn't make their money on startups. Like, yes, some of them do, but that's like very rare. Most of them made their money on regular businesses. And then the angel money was just the fun part. Um, that was the really high risk, high reward. And I had the opportunity of watching one of these angel investors actually do an acquisition deal. And it just like lit my life on fire. And I was like, I intended to um, be an entrepreneur. I've fallen into the world of technology startups, which are incredibly um, unstable and um, ended up learning that there was this other path that was extremely strategic. Acquisition entrepreneurship is a lot less risky you can acquire your job. So I got very passionate about it um, and started looking at buying a business. And in that journey to buy, which I am currently still on that uh, buying journey, I actually met my now business partner and I offered on one of his uh, businesses that was for sale. And that particular deal fell through. It wasn't my partner, my now business partner's fault or my fault, or even the business owner's fault. It was uh, a third party. Um, but the that experience led me to learning just so much about acquisition entrepreneurship that my now business partner asked me if I'd be interested in selling businesses. And it's been a wonderful journey. I have a podcast called Renegade Ventures, and we specifically dive into uh, the process of buying, building, and selling businesses as assets. And so here we are. Um, and I help business owners, uh, you know, transition their business. And um, if you're, I also can help strategic buyers as well, but we mostly help business owners sell. Yeah, no, and that, that's a good point. And, and, and again, as commercial real estate, just to give you some context on the people who listen, I mean, we, we have a lot of commercial real estate professionals that 
that are uh, you know listening. We have people all in the industry of commercial real estate. And so a lot of the clientele that we service are business owners. And I've definitely had several you know interactions in the past with with clients that had a business on site that you know they wanted to either sell and also sell the real estate or sometimes they you know wanted to continue to operate their business and do like a sale and lease back where they would just you know sell the building, sign a long-term lease and then ultimately yeah. operate on site. So, you know, that the, these types of conversations are not uncommon in the commercial real estate space. So that's why I thought it would be great for us to kind of just talk a little bit about that. So as far as the the sales or the sales process is concerned, can you kind of describe what exactly um, you would say is is the process of selling a business? Because, you know, there's there are certain types of businesses that I'm sure are prime to be able to sell. And there's probably others that are, you know, depending on how they're structured, may or may not be as as fruitful. So if you could share a little bit of insight in that front, I think it'd be great. Yeah. So um, the number one thing that we're looking for to make a business sellable is that it is profitable in the small business land. It isn't, um, uh, it is purely based on your EBITDA or your seller's discretionary earnings. Um, and so how well the business has actually been functioning really plays into that. So we would meet with a business owner that's interested in selling um, their business. And we would probably start number one, just learning about their operations. Do they have managers in place who, you know, how many employees do they have the general um, structure of what they do, what they sell, how they make their money. Um, and from there, we can normally tell like, does this business function pretty well or not? Um, and then we move them into the conversation about a value valuation um, and their financials. How profitable are they? Um, at this point, if they're interested in kind of coming up with that number is, uh, we enter into a broker to potential seller non-disclosure agreement and we collect their tax returns. Um, and so the whole first part, yes, we're asking if they're interested or if they own their real estate or if they're interested in selling it, but the majority of what we are evaluating is the goodwill portion of the business. Um, and the other types of assets other than real estate, do they have machinery or equipment, um, so on and so forth. So we get these tax returns, we understand, you know, how profitable are they, and then we take them through that process of the valuation. And in that process, we're allowed to add things back <laughs> mm -hmm. to that net line. Um, and what is allowed back, it depends on the business um, and how well it has been documented, but we can normally add back like one owner's salary and um, really clearly personal expenses like that law firm didn't need a boat. <laughs> we can carve that out and add that back. Um, and so we start working through this. We come up with a number that we present to the business owner. And if we agree on that number of the sale price, then we might enter into a listing agreement. Um, somewhere in there, we do talk about the real estate and whether or not it will go with the business or if they're leasing it back. And in here, we actually kind of get in our first blip or the crossover between our worlds, um, especially if they're selling the real estate and the real estate is worth more than the business itself. And so, um, we can kind of dive into that in a second, but we get a listing agreement, it gets listed, but in unlike your wall, we do not have like an MLS equivalent. Um, we have lots of different 
places that these businesses can be listed, but they are listed without any of their identifying information. So it'll say something like automobile distributor or, you know, uh, car lot, um, or it would say, um, I have one that's dental handpiece repair. Um, and so it doesn't necessarily identify who they are, just generally the industry. And then uh, we, you know, get interested buyers. We let our strategic buyers that we know um, that might be interested, we contact them and we walk through that process of sharing a confidential information memorandum, NDAs, and uh, seeing if anyone wants to move to the next step. This whole process from like beginning to end can be nine to 12 months, can be longer. Um, and it is really focused on the business itself um, and its function and whether or not the buyer and seller are good fit for each other um, and whether or not it's bankable. And so we go from like an offer to due diligence and due diligence is like our version of an inspection, but it's on the business itself and its books. And then um, into a purchase agreement, working with banks and eventually hopefully a close. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's great. Yeah. And it, as far as the, you know, the process is concerned, it, you know, the steps obviously are, are slightly different when it comes to business sales, but the nuances, I mean, the nuances are different, but as far as the steps are concerned, it's somewhat similar to what we do on the investment sales side, you know, where we get, you know, share confidential information. The one caveat that you've mentioned is you typically don't want to share addresses. You typically don't want to share uh, refined information regarding the business because you don't want to let managers know or employees know that the business may be for sale because of obviously the, the implications of them finding out and then deciding that they want to jump ship and that could potentially cause issues. So there's obviously yeah. a lot more nuance when it comes to selling a business because you, there's, there's so many more moving parts that need to be considered. Um, Right. Yeah. And, you know, almost always um, the business owner is is less worried about their building. They want the money for it, but they're worried about their employees and the other version, mm -hmm. the other the other pieces of the business. No, 100 percent. No, I couldn't agree more. And and I, you know, I appreciate you sharing that context because I think it, it it is interesting to hear the, the the corollaries and also understand some of the some of the differences involved in that. So one of the things you had alluded to is scenarios whereby because th th this is a common theme that I've had where I've had like two or three uh, clients that this has been the case. They own the building. Uh, they've operated maybe a restaurant on site for quite some time, but they themselves have been the operators. You know, they, you know, it's kind of a, uh, a, a, a they've, they've been in business for quite some time and it's been, maybe it's been somewhat profitable to maybe decently profitable, but they're the, they're kind of the, the intellectual property that comes along with the, the enterprise. And so in those scenarios, I, I guess, you know, are, are there conversations that are typically had with the business owner? Because that's one of the things that, you know, it's kind of a hard conversation to have sometimes is, is, is kind of saying, talking to the business owner about what, you know, their business may be worth. Maybe in their mind, they're thinking, oh, I'm generating whatever income I'm generating. But when it comes to replicating that with a new buyer, maybe that's not as achievable. So if you could share some insights on that, I think that'd be great. Yeah, this happens all the time. And mm -hmm. I would say it happens, the smaller the business, the more it happens. Mm -hmm. Um where the version of what they think the business is worth is not even close to the reality. A lot of people think it's a multiple of their revenue. And in fact, it's a multiple of their net. Um, and so we run into this pretty regularly. 
And so one of the things that I often tell people in the preparation is like, I would get evaluation before you're ready to sell so that you can make the changes that you need to make um, beforehand. And then the other thing, you know, if we're already at that stage is if you are still the secret sauce of your business, like if you, if the business hinges on you, we don't have very much to sell um, because we are the, you are the thing that is leaving. And so um, making sure that like in the process of getting ready, that they start documenting uh, standard operating procedures and they start, you know, working um, a manager into uh, more of a leadership role so that a buyer actually has something to buy. Um, and in the cases where it's like a restaurant person and they just still have the building, uh, the cash flow, especially if the cash flow isn't there, often it makes more sense to sell the building with a commercial realtor than it actually does to sell the business. And that's really hard feedback to give a business owner because they they feel like they've spent a lot of time and energy building this thing and it's meant a lot. And one of the things I've been saying recently to some of them is like, you, just because you can't sell it doesn't mean that it wasn't still valuable. It still provided a good life for you and your family. It put your kids through college. It did whatever that business did for you. It gave you a lot of years of income. It's just not going to sell because you're still the secret sauce or you don't have the cash flow or you took cash out of the business and I can't count it. You know, there's, there's lots of things that can cause something to not really be a sellable business. No, that makes complete sense. And, and, you know, you kind of alluded to a few of those topics. So one of the things I guess I'm kind of curious about is, you know, let's say that, you know, you, you've interacted with the business owner and you're wanting to get an understanding of what their business looks like. They, they provide you with all the proper information uh, as far as advising them, so let's say that they're like, hey, I want to maximize the value that I can achieve from the sale from this business. You typically advise them on different things that they could potentially do to kind of increase the the delta to where they want to get to essentially. And and what are some of those, you know, points that you make to kind of get them on that on that trajectory? Yeah, there there are. And um, I do a valuation package. It's really not expensive. It's like twenty five hundred dollars. And it comes with like a valuation of your business and a little bit of minor consulting or like direction on next steps. Um, and the goal there is to help people like three to five years before they're ready to sell. There are some value drivers. There's a famous uh, book. Um, and of course, the moment I'm trying to say it, it's gone. But there's eight. The, there's a brand called uh, Value Drivers, and they have eight value drivers. But they're they're kind of obvious if we start talking about them. Um, and so, one thing is how reliant is that business on you? The less reliant the business is on you, the more valuable your business is, um, because a new buyer could be an investor. You have much, many more buyers to choose from. It could be an investor. It could be someone who wants to own and operate it. Um, but also it shows that it is a well-oiled machine and it can produce those results for someone else. Um, and so that is one of those big, big areas. Um, really clean books and records. Um, if your books are messy, um, if you have two sets of books, if you've never used an accountant before, all of those things are red flags um, to buyers and will devalue your business. So it's like clean books and records don't necessarily add tons of value, but bad books and records devalue. Um, and then, um, so 
systems and processes, books and records, um, re recurring revenue tends to be one of those uh, value driving things. Um, some businesses just can't have it. Um, a value builder is like um, many different clients, um, not having too big of a customer concentration um, versus having like 75% of your business be this one entity. Well, that's a pretty big risk for a buyer um, if that one entity backs out. And so if you really start thinking about some of the functions of a buying, put a buyer's hat on and saying, I'm about to spend a million dollars. I'm going to sign on a loan. What are, I need to make sure that this thing is going to exist in a year. Um, what are the, how do we make sure that it's still existing and then growing beyond that? And so things that de-risk that investment make a business worth more. That's great advice. And that's something that, you know, I, I try to do on a regular basis with, you know, clients is to always put your buyer's hat on because at the end of the day, these are the questions you're going to, that they're going to ask you. So if you can preemptively get in front of it and say, look, we're already addressing all the different concerns that a buyer may have. And that's where you, someone like you comes in who already have seen the process many times. And it's like, oh, well, these are the type of questions that we get asked all the time. It doesn't right. really matter you know, the, the industry, I mean, obviously there's probably specific things within in different industries that, that may be asked more so than others, but, but there are probably quite a few different repetitive things that you can follow that if you do in fact address the concerns, then you maximize the value of whatever you're trying to sell. In this case, let's say a business. So, you know, I appreciate the feedback on that front and we'll have to get that book, uh, you know, recommendation. Give me just a second and I'll tell you what it is. It'll yeah, come no, to you. Yeah, no worries. No worries. No, I'm, I'm just curious to, to hear about that. So um, I, I guess, you know, one of the things that I'm kind of curious about is, you know, in your experience and, and you know, obviously you and Philip is, is your, is your business partner as well. And he's been in the business for quite some time. I, I actually had a chance to interact with him in the past. We ultimately couldn't get a deal done on a, on a daycare that I had listed, but, but he's a, a great individual as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as far as interactions with commercial real estate professionals and referral sources, that's one of the things that I'm kind of curious about is because, you know, in, in my, in my case, if I have a, a business owner that wants to sell their business, a lot of times, unless it's something that I think could have some value, like, you know, a lot of times it's like maybe a restaurant owner that didn't have a very successful restaurant and maybe it's just, you know, the, the real estate's really what, where the value is, but in a scenario where, there is some value there, but you maybe you know it's not necessarily in my wheelhouse. Like, what type of what what type of things would you recommend as far as you know let, from for real estate professionals to be able to kind of you know hand off those opportunities? Yeah, I mean, with real estate professionals, if commercial realtors, you're going to be more equipped than say someone who mostly does residential, and I'm mm -hmm. sure there are people who do a little bit of both, but uh, because you understand the level of confidentiality. We regularly will see a residential realtor like post a business for sale and it'll have its address. And then the management will find employees will find out that it is for sale. Um, and then they will quit and go find new jobs. And it basically completely devalues the business. The confidentiality part is just so high when a business is on the line. Um, and so uh that 
function and understanding how that works and how you manage this whole process is, you know, if you are really trying to sell the business and not just the real estate, I highly recommend working with someone. You will get a fee. Um, you could probably sell the real estate part and still get the entirety of the real estate if you're working with someone reasonable or something of that nature. But the business aspect of it, um, it needs somebody who can do evaluation, who understands market comps and has access to the basic softwares of understanding what other comps are, who can put a package together. Um, and so if you have a business that's worth more than its value of its real estate, it's probably time to talk to someone that is a broker and co-work that deal um, or hand it off or, and just take a referral fee um, because it, there is just enough difference that it can get hairy quickly. Um, especially when you're talking about like, is it going to be an asset sale or a stock sale? Is it going to, um, you know, um, the way in which the transfer happens, um, not allowing a buyer to talk to management too soon, um, managing the, the interactions between those people. It is so much more heated than when it's just a piece of property. Um, because people's lives are in the middle. <laughs> and so uh, the, the emotions are just a lot higher and you can accidentally really screw someone's uh, business up if it gets out or any of those kinds of things. Yeah, the confidentiality piece is huge. And that's you know where I think the, 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 the it's important to understand that. And, and I appreciate you sharing regarding the, the, the sharing the address and all these other pertinent pieces of information that shouldn't be disclosed. I mean, luckily on the commercial real estate side, we, we a lot of commercial real estate professionals tend to handle that on a regular basis because right. we have, you know, in, in particular in the investment sales side where you're dealing with, you know, buildings that have occupants, whether they're tenants like residential tenants or commercial tenants. Right. A lot of times you just got to be cognizant about you know, how are you interacting? Like we, we, we typically don't allow the buyers to interact with the tenants until we get to a certain point in the transaction where, you know, it's going to, it's somewhat certain because that could stir, stir up a lot of issues. If, you know, you start getting in you can there start looking for a new place to go. So exactly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It could create a big, big mess of things to, to occur. And, and obviously we have, we have, you know, ways to be able to, you know, get the information that you maybe you need as, as a buyer, but, it's not going to require you to get on site and, you know, stir the pot. Cause you know, sometimes the buyers like inadvertently say something that they shouldn't say, and it can right. cause an issue, you know, it's, and again, that's why being, having someone in the middle to kind of facilitate that transaction is so important. So I appreciate you sharing that, yeah. that information. There's absolutely ways that business brokers and intermediaries and transa transaction specialists can work with real estate agents, um, commercial real estate brokers, to see through a deal together. Um, and in a lot of ways, that's probably best, especially if the real estate part is really big, because I, while have to have a license to do certain parts, right? Mm -hmm. um, we, I would not consider myself equipped to just go do commercial real estate. Mm -hmm. um, it is definitely where that line kind of gets drawn is like, I'll sell real estate if it's coming with the business, right? Mm -hmm. But I will not be selling real estate unless it is really about the business part. Um, and often we still are having people go get appraisals from other people because that's not my specialty. Mm -hmm. So, no, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, and and 
you know, a lot of times, like you mentioned, the, the way the businesses are structured, you know, a lot of times there may be a holding company that owns the real estate, and then you have your own operating company, and the operating company leases the building. And, you know, at some point, if you decide that there's value to be able to sell entities separately, I mean, it, again, it's all about the analysis, but um, yeah, no, I, I appreciate the the feedback there. So uh, as far as resources are concerned, you know, obviously, you know, how did you kind of get accustomed to learning about some of these techniques and, and getting more comfortable with the, the idea of selling a business? Are there, is it like a program that you went through or is it something that just comes with practice? Yeah. So I am a, um, I am with Murphy business sales, which is a franchised business brokerage, um, that has offices, 140 offices, I think, um, across the country and was able to get training on the business portion through that. Um, there is absolutely other courses um, that are available that you would not have to be a part of um, a brokerage. What is weird about this is it is not um, as regulated in many places as being a real estate agent um, or broker. Um, in some states, you have to be a business broker. You have to be a real estate broker. In Kentucky, that is not the case. Um, and so it just depends on where you're at um, as to where, uh, as to how the, the rules work and how lenient they are for business brokers um, versus real estate brokers. Um, in Florida, you have to be, you know, a broker, you have to be a real estate, a licensed real estate broker to be able to sell a business, but there isn't necessarily a requirement for more education on top of that. So it gets really uh, state by state on how the laws on how the laws work, but I would recommend training to anyone who wants to get into the business game because you will need to know how to do at a minimum a broker opinion of value, and you will need to understand kind of the nuances of how the interactions work and um, how it flows through that pipeline um, because it is just slightly different, um, and some of those differences can make. Uh, all the difference. I need a new word, but yeah. <laughs> no, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, the analysis piece is a huge part of it is, is you you don't want to ever misrepresent someone because you don't clearly understand what the value add opportunities are, what, you know, what the current business is worth based on their existing financials. Like if you forget to add an item in that could potentially, you know, cause the value of the business to not be quite where it needs to be as far as what you're advertising. And so, you know, I, I feel like, having that level of training to be able to do that is an, an important piece. And it's kind of surprising to hear you say that in certain States, it's not required as far as, you know, from a regulation standpoint, because, you know, you guys oftentimes deal with more nuance in, in a lot of ways, you know, to, than, yes, than, it is. Uh, so like, I would check to see, you know, if you're the brokers that you're working with, where, if they were trained or not trained or just being careful about that, because some places really it's not, there isn't a requirement. And then some people assume that CPAs can do valuations and all of the CPAs will likely say that they can. And yet there is a difference between uh, CPAs valuation and whether or not they know that market um, and whether or not they know, like, just because they come to a number doesn't mean that that number is based in um, real market comps or, um, reality of how the world is currently functioning um, in the buyer's tests or the debt coverage ratio um, 
I feel like oftentimes CPAs will lead their clients to believe a business is maybe worth a little bit more than it actually is going to go for. Um, and so then we're battling the fact that they are licensed CPA and I am not, but the, the world is more nuanced and they're not daily seeing what types of businesses are selling. A restaurant might be worth, you know, 1.8 to 3x its um, seller discretionary earnings. But if it's not going to sell for that, then it's not worth that. So exactly. I mean, literally the conversations I have almost every day with with different people because they they say, oh, you know, this professional or my attorney or, or accountant or something have commented and this is what they think it could work. And I was like, well, you know, I, I we look at the market every day like we I know what things are selling for. And I know the hurdles that you may or may not face in, in getting this sold. And I can tell you that based on what we're seeing, that may not be realistic. This this happens a lot sometimes with like our land, like land sales where people say, oh, well, that land down the street sold for 400 an acre or 300 an acre. And it's like, well, that land down the street is zoned a certain way. It has you know easy access. It has sewers. It has all these other things that your land doesn't have. And yeah, granted, it may be somewhat close to where you're at, but you don't have the right zoning. You have you know issues behind you because now you have a residential community in the rear. So if you try to get a rezone, maybe they're going to have something to say. So the likelihood of you getting what you need to get in order to maximize the value is probably going to be slim because you're going right. to have a lot of pushback. So you know, there's a lot of nuance involved that a lot of people don't think. They just see it at face value based on what maybe what an opinion from a, a, a reputable professional. I'm not saying that, you know, uh, you know, CPAs or, or, or attorneys or any other professional right. like that is not reputable and they, they, they have a high level of skill. But, you know, if you're not looking at the market every single day, you know, oftentimes you just you just don't know. So, uh, yeah. I, I can the- do my own bookkeeping, but you don't necessarily want me doing a, you know, corporations bookkeeping, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and it's kind of the same, like, I understand all the financials in the way that I manage them for people, mm-hmm. but you also don't necessarily want me doing that role. Um, and it's kind of the same way in this direction as well. Absolutely. So. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. So, so what I wanted to do is we're, we're live right now. So I wanted to give us some time to be able to ask uh, questions uh, to Ellie as well. So if you guys are on the the Zoom chat, pl- please type away. Uh, for those of you guys who are watching live as well, pe- please feel free to type away in the chat box as well. So in the meantime, one thing I wanted to ask you, is there a particular question or anything in particular that you feel I you wish I would have asked you uh, about you know, the, the business sales process? Um, no, but I like to kind of beat the drum, especially for people that are in commercial real estate. You've maybe may- never actually thought about being a buyer of a business and you've seen real estate as this asset that grows over time. Um, and if you are, especially if you're renting it, you kind of already have the basics of what like buying businesses looks like. It's just often the cash flow from a business can be a lot more um, sexy than actually people realize. It's just like we've been told um, and taught in financial spaces about real estate investing. And that's because real estate investing has been a really sexy, um, lucrative thing, especially if you got started back in like 08 to 12, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Now it can be a little hard. Um, And I have a a good example. I have a business owner who um, has owned her property for like 30 years. And so the property is now worth more than what the business can sell for to cash flow that particular um, mortgage. Um, but a lot of businesses 
that maybe don't have even their real estate attached or that do actually, you know, cash flow really well and can grow in a way that is a really good investment. So just kind of beating the drum that if you've not looked at business buying as an investment opportunity to take a look because you're already like halfway there um, and understanding how it works. hundred um, percent. And, and also, you know, and we'll, we'll add, we have a few questions in the comments. I just want to make a quick comment and you, maybe you can reassure this as well. I mean, we're in a period of, of existence where we have a massive sect of the population that has, you know, owned their enterprise for quite some time. Obviously the baby boomers are starting to retire. You know, if you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I am, I imagine that the the transition plan for a lot of these enterprises is going to be an interesting see, thing to see over the next 10 to 20 years. I mean, we're probably going to see a lot more businesses come available for sale that are very profitable and could be potentially great opportunities. And, you know, so there, there may be opportunities available in the next 10 years. Yeah, there is absolutely a transition happening. Um, the bigger businesses, so we kind of have this like, like the smaller businesses, the tiny ones, they might sell, they might go out of business. The medium middle section can be like wealth generators for the average human beings um, and grow and continue. Um, the big ones or like uh, when I, we're still talking about small businesses, even when I say big ones, but like above a million dollars in EBITDA, um, their private equity is coming down lower and lower and lower um, because we need, they want more and more deals. But one thing that I worry about as a human being is that um, I want more human beings owning their businesses and their communities because they care about their employees and the communities that they serve more so than um, conglomerates of private equity, right? So like they might still end up being a small business, but if they're owned by private equity that has, you know, 15 shareholders, is it really a small business anymore? Because it's been disconnected from the business owner. And um so that's that's kind of my personal lean. It doesn't mean that I don't sell to private equity all day, every day. We'll take the money, but it's uh, it it's one of those um, things that if you've ever considered getting into this game, even with a small number of of people, like in doing like mini private equity, uh, I think that it's it's worth looking at um, because we do have more businesses that are coming for sale, but often aren't hitting. The, they're they're going really fast because we actually still have a lot of buyers. Um, but I personally would like to see lots of these businesses transition to people who still own them in their communities. Sure. That's great. Great uh, call to action. So uh, the first question, which was actually a direct message to me, I'll, I'll, I'll ask it real quick. So, you know, regarding commissions, um, you know, obviously in, in, re in real estate, there's no set commissions, but, you know, oftentimes you'll see people charge anywhere between like four to 6% of the sales price to, as far as, you know, a, a commission, but I don't know if that, what, what is it typically in the, in the business sales side? It ranges even more um, sure. in our world because there isn't necessarily a standard, um, what we do um, most often, it can be as much as 12 on the first million, 12%. Um, but here in Louisville, we're normally at 10% on the first million dollars, and then it drops to 8% on the second million, 6% on the third, and 4% on the fourth, and 2% after that. Um, and that's of sale price. So um, that we are paid on commission at the point of sale. Um, and so a lot of that functions the same. 
um, oftentimes we will take a down payment up front because we do a lot of work um, and to make sure that people are really serious about selling their business. Um, but other than that, that's kind of generally how it works. I'm not saying that we don't get negotiated. Uh, and there are times where that becomes a flat fee. Um, and sometimes that can bite us in the tail. And then sometimes, um, you know, that's totally fine. But that's in general, the, our starting point. Yeah. We're, you know, same, same, like, and there's no standard or, or set commission in, in real estate. It's actually illegal to say it's set. You're, you're so, you know, as far as what we have is like, you you may have a range, you know, some people say this is what we typically charge. And, you know, from there you kind of determine what you want to do, but, but it's kind of good to have at least have that context. So. Uh, and we have a minimum. So our minimum mm -hmm. is uh, 15,000. Um, and it, you know, it just takes a lot of effort. Like, oh, I get it. That that fifteen thousand, even at a that's a hundred and fifty thousand dollar business. So, like, after you, if you're not worth at least that, like, then you really have to decide whether or not you want to sell it through a broker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. So, Phil, uh, he asks, what is a reasonable amount of time to evaluate a business, assuming the sellers have at, have at least decent books and and corporate structuring to buy? Um, well, I would say the most advanced buyers, so there's a spectrum here, but the most advanced buyers move very, very quickly to letter of intent. And that is because it kind of, they can normally lock down a period of time to do the due diligence and um, and work through kind of the details um, of what would let them walk away. So there's no, there's no reason why you can't walk away during due diligence. And so they move very quickly um, kind of through the crap and try to figure out what is the offer that works best for this owner? Um, what will they take on the money and so that they're not spending a lot of their time and money determining and doing the due diligence portion unless they know that they can come to a middle ground on how much they're willing to pay for it. So they go straight into the books and pretty much look at it on, from a financial perspective, only get an LOI and move forward. We will see LOIs happen, especially on bigger businesses, before um, they've even met an owner, um, because the, the the market is so aggressive right now that if you if you move across that one million in EBITDA line, we're going to have three offers uh, in the first forty eight hours, like without a doubt. No, hundred percent. So yeah, you get to the LOI stage, and then from there you have a period of time to be able to kind of formalize everything, and then you yeah, you and get that period purchase. is normally like. 45 to mm -hmm. 60 days, you might have 90 days on a bigger, more complicated, like if there's a multi-entity structure and a lot to sort, um, then you might get into the 90, but normally it's that short period of time. The thing that people don't realize is the bank doesn't move that fast. So your due diligence period to say you're in or out might be faster than um, the bank's period, but you will be kind of locked in after your due diligence is done. It'll cost you money to back out at that point. Yeah, for sure. So one question I have for you is related to the the financing piece. Is it still kind of being, is it still active on the financing end? Are our banks' appetites still pretty active? Because I know on the commercial real estate side, we're starting to see a little bit of a pullback in certain certain property types and you know different types of investments. So I don't know if it's been affected on your guys' end at all. That is the same here. Um, you know, if it has a pro its property, then it's easier to collateralize. If it does a high EBITDA, a bank's going to do it. Um, 
but we do get into um, issues with some of the smaller deals that don't cash flow as well. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the past, like I have a deal that's working through what I would have considered one of the more traditionally conservative lenders. Um, and they are getting it through pretty easily and it's under $200,000. Um, it's not done, so I don't want to jinx it, mm-hmm. but everything's work. going well at the moment. Uh, and it's, uh, it, it, it was at like a 8.3, maybe percent interest rate fixed, which is unheard of. Most of our SBA lending is prime plus 2.25 prime plus 2.5 mm-hmm. variable rate, 10 year. Um, so to have a flat rate under 11%, basically is like, we're Very winning. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, that's great. That's good to hear. Cause yeah, I would say in our end, it's definitely been affected a little bit, but I, you know, I would see the next 12 months or so to 24 months, we'll start seeing some improvement in that area for sure. It's been affected by the interest rate because a business has to really cash flow well now to be able to support their loan. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we'll, any other questions we have for Ellie? I want to make sure that you guys get all the questions answered. Checking on Facebook real quick as well. And I'll add while you check that uh, here's another one of those differences about real estate investing versus business investing is that the business's loan is largely based on how well the business cash flows. Um, And so it's a little bit less about the individual buyer. Don't get me wrong. The buyer still needs to be a worthy buyer. Um, But you know, when I went to go buy a house, it was based on my income. Um, and this is largely based on the business's income. Um, and so the business is expected to pay back its loan, not the person buying it. Um, that doesn't mean that you won't have to collateralize your home or some other asset, but it does mean that it's the business's cash flow has to cover the loan. The person does not. Yeah. The same in commercial real estate investing, you know, we have similar where it's like the asset itself has to service the debt, not necessarily the owner. And, you know, if they need to cross collateralize over other assets that you own, or, you know, if they have to use some of your other business income to cover their debt service ratios or whatever else, maybe they will, but oftentimes they'll want to make sure that just the the asset itself has that potential, or if it currently can't do it, is there a path of progress to get there within a reasonable amount of time? So. Same, same. So again, you all are just so close to <laughs> very, it's very similar. That's awesome. Well, it looks like you've answered all the questions, Ellie. So first off, I just want to thank well, you for your time. It was really, you know, I thought we had a phenomenal conversation and I'm looking forward to hearing the feedback on this, this episode. So if you want to get in contact with you, what's the best way to be able to do so? Yeah. So if um, my business brokerage email is e.pucket, uh, P-U-C-K-E-T-T at murphybusiness.com. Um, I also am on social media at, um, at renegade.le and I have a podcast called Renegade Ventures and it's on all the major podcast platforms. So, um, it is aimed mostly at women, but I'll tell you that we're still at like a good 30 to 40% of our listeners are men and you are more than welcome here. Um, at, uh, at the Renegade Ventures, we are just trying to make it a little more inclusive of people who haven't learned about this before. 
Absolutely. And we do have some, uh, so a lot, you, and I'm, I'm committed as well to try to see if we can improve some of the diversity here in the commercial real estate industry. Cause it is kind of, as you mentioned, somewhat similar and I'm sure in business sales. Um, so, you know, I think. That, oh yeah. I'm like the youngest slash one of the only females probably in like a 400 mile radius. <laughs> you know? That's funny. Well, hopefully your, your, your efforts are going to help change that. And I'm looking forward to continuing to engage with you and your podcast and excited to hear what your what your future holds and and we'll include all that information in the show notes so if you guys are watching this on youtube go ahead down to the description and, and access that or if you guys are listening to this in a podcast format again the same thing go to the description as well so ellie again thank you so much for your time uh for all the all, the, all of you who are listening uh keep coming back keep continuing to engage we do these every other week and we invite speakers to talk about a variety of different commercial real estate topics so thanks again so much for tuning in and we'll see you all next time